Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is for us. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with Brian Y. How are you, Brian? David, I'm great. Back, to, uh, happy to be back in the pew with you. Yes, uh, it is a it is a good day to be in the pew. Uh, we are picking up a theme uh, that we started on red letters. Guys, you know the one, right? Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, this is actually a natural follow-up uh, from my last show on the early church and the role of women. And I did a supplemental because you can't do this subject in one shot. And in fact, I find you can't even do it in two shots. And so we're going to finish up that topic right here in the public uh, podcast for S. Brian, I can't think of anyone I would rather do this show with, except maybe Clint or Sarah or Matt or uh, <laughs> no, no. Or, Satan, or Satan himself, right? I mean, keep going down the list. I'll get to me eventually. <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't supposed to come out out loud. Um, let me make a nice edit point there. Uh, what I'm trying to say is. What you're trying to say is I'm in, I'm in the back of the church. I'm in the last pew. I'm not up front uh, with you and the rest of your friends. No, no, no. What I'm saying is you are, in fact, in the back of the church with me. Uh, so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they don't, they don't let our kind up front. We're not allowed. No. We're not allowed. This would have been a hell of a show with, say, uh, Matt, Sarah, and Clint. <laughs> but, but now it's only going to be decent. Uh, that said, uh, folks, there's going to be a lot of stuff uh, in here. This is a long one. You're going to get your money's worth out of this one, your whole zero dollars worth out of this show. Um, and it's, I'm going to want to interrupt a lot and I'll, I'm going to try to control myself. You've watched the show before though. You know, I have low impulse control. There's so much to say. And so if I don't stop and interject as much as you think I should hit me up in the comments skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log into your Discuss account and discuss away. Here we go. Today, I want to address a very important issue that has um, been stirred up on the internet uh, with me kind of in the middle of it. I So, by the way, if anyone on the internet knows what he's talking about this this issue that was stirred up where he was in the middle of it would you let us know in the comments because i wasn't able to find it i don't know what he's referring to here i do not uh, like to give sorry uh, david I was, uh, david i was just gonna say I, I have a feeling that um that his experience with the internet is going to be similar to creed from the office. I don't know no. if you ever saw that episode, but uh, no. Ryan would, would fire up a word document on his computer in the first thing in the morning and, and write Creed's thoughts. And Creed thought he was writing a blog for the internet, but it was just a word document. on his computer. Uh, I, uh... Yeah. Well, I, so <laughs> apropos of nothing, we don't have time for this, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. So when I was watching this, um, I, I just noticed how analog, this was this is a big church they obviously have a lot of money a lot of 
resources, but they're also very, very fundy. And one of the ways you can tell it is everything is on paper and manual, his paper notes, his paper Bible. Whenever he goes to a scripture, he makes a point of turning the pages, not, not very efficiently. Um, yeah. And, you know, on, you know, modern churches, especially those that have the equipment to put their services on the Internet with multiple cameras, they have screens and Bible verses and all the speaker has to do is press a button, you know, but I think part of this is stagecraft to to send a message that we are foundational, fundamental people here. We're not like those tech heavy liberals. You'll see what I mean. Short answers. I don't like to get put in a position to do that because I feel like that just escalates confusion. So I want to take the opportunity to address the uh, issue of women preachers this morning and to give you a, a more thorough answer from the Word of God on this very, very important subject. And I think by the time we are finished, you will understand what the Word of God has to say and how consistently it says it. Yeah. Notice uh, his use of the Word of God. I'm not sure if he says Bible in this uh, very often, but this is another kind of almost dog whistle uh, to show how fundamental your church is. Uh, He's a verbal plenary inspirationist. Hmm. By the way, if you hear the uh, construction sounds um, in my apartment, apartment building i'm on floor five floor six just above me someone moved out and they are gutting that apartment and redoing it and they only seem to do the work when i turn the mic on so to begin with <laughs> let's open the word of god to first corinthians chapter 14 first corinthians chapter 14 and i i want you to look down at verse 33 Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then this sentence really begins the text with regard to our subject. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a preacher or spiritual, let that person recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. Just from that passage alone, there's no lack of clarity with regard to what the Bible says about women who preach. But in spite of the clarity of Scripture, this has become a monstrous issue in our day. One divine statement answers the question. Mm -hmm. So. So this, this is a, a letter to the Corinthians from Paul, is that right? Right. And he, so basically we've got Paul saying this is a commandment from God. Yes. 
Is that Paul's bl uh, bold, naked assertion, or does he actually bring the receipts and say, here's where God commanded that thing? There are... Um... There is at least one receipt, but the receipt is blank. So, um, analogies, I'm not great at them. So, <laughs> so the answer is yes and no. I mean, everything that Paul says that is a command of God is just a naked assertion. Because how can we ever validate that God told Paul something? Um, did Paul receive a private revelation here? Well, then why should we trust a private revelation? Um, I don't I don't think we should. Anyone can say that God gave me a command to give you. Um, so is it a private revelation? Probably Jesus never says any of this. Peter never says any of this. Paul seems to be the first person to know about this command. But he does make reference to the law. Uh, he, he makes a reference as it says in the law. And that made me waste a lot of time trying to figure out what law he was talking about. Hmm. Um, I never found it, but he is going to address that. So when, when I say he does bring one receipt, that's what I'm referring to. However, if you think that you're going to get some clarity of, about it, here's, here's what the law is. Uh, you're not, and that's why I say the receipt is blank. Yeah, so, so er, early on in this sermon, we get to see what one of the benefits are of skepticism, which is we shouldn't just take uh, at face value as immutable divine truth what comes out of the mouth of people. Right, Un unless... It's one of the people who wrote the Bible, and you can trust it because it's in the Bible that they wrote. Right. But the people getting this letter didn't have the Bible. They were getting a letter. You know what I mean? I could write a letter to a church and tell them that, you know, people that wear purple scarves can't preach. No, no, no. Okay. You know, but you, you don't understand. They're getting the letter from the Apostle Paul, who is self-proclaimed as an apostle. You see, that that's, that's much less secular. He says he's an apostle, so he's an apostle, and he wrote some letters that end up in the Bible, so they're true. I hope that, that helps. Most, that is the most beautifully rounded circle I've ever seen, David. Well done. <laughs> what does the Bible say about women preachers? It's in verse 35, the last part of the verse. It is improper for a woman to speak in church. That's not ambiguous. That's not at all unclear. It is improper for a woman to speak in church. That is an absolute prohibition. And the word improper is chosen very, very carefully by the Holy Spirit to leave no lack of clarity as to the force of the statement. The word that is translated improper is ice cross in the Greek. It really is a word that means disgraceful or shameful. It's something more than just improper. It's disgraceful. In fact, that is the way it is translated in 1 Corinthians eleven six, by the word disgraceful. That is the way it is translated in Ephesians 5, verse 12, as disgraceful or shameful. That same word is used in Titus 1, 11, and there it is translated sordid, sordid, a word that basically means base 
or shameful. It has the common sense of something that is known to be a disgrace. In the fifth chapter of Ephesians and the fourth verse, a word from the same root is used here. I'll read the verse. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting. But again, it's the same root, disgraceful or shameful. So filthiness, silly or low talk, coarse jesting, which is usually sexual innuendo, these are disgraceful. Sordid, disgraceful, shameful. David, can you pause That's here for a second? That's what this word means. Yes. So is, is, is uh, MacArthur here just, he's equating that a woman choosing to speak in church is as disgraceful as all these other things? Yes. I mean, how, how are there women Christians when this is just given without any, there's not any reason. There's not any backup. It's just a statement. Women speaking is disgraceful. That is on its face, absolute moronic falsehood. Yes, but it comes from the same fount of thought as homosexuality is an abomination. Uh, well, an abomination to who? Well, an abomination to God. Well, how do you know that? Well, it says so in this book. Uh, so in the same sense, I mean, this is really the same kind of word. It may even be stronger than abomination. It's, it's disgraceful. It's disgusting. Disgusting to whom, though? It clearly wasn't disgusting to the church at Corinth because they were doing it. It wasn't disgusting to the surrounding uh, cultures because they were doing it. Um, disgusting to whom and how do you know? So once again, you just have to assume it's disgusting to God because Paul said so. There's, there's no way to interrogate the question further than that. Right. And, and that's, again, it just, it just shows how just terrible, terrible rule following, terrible epistemology, like this is just not the way to organize yourselves, right? It, it's, I mean, what if he told them to, to, you know, you should murder all yourselves right now. Everyone that's, here's this letter, kill yourself right now, because God said so. Would they all, you know, take the blade up to their necks? I mean, it, it literally, it, it, this is completely mindless. Well, Paul would say it is disgusting for those of you who remain alive, uh, who defy the command to uh, kill yourself, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I I agree. Hang on to your lunch; it gets so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, please continue. What we read then in verse thirty-five is: it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. It is shameful. That is a recognized judgment on all such behavior, the same as teaching for sordid gain and in Titus 1.11, disgraceful, shameful gain. It's sort of like false prophets doing what they do for money. And this unmistakable divine law and command is so absolute that we go back to verse 34. And the section actually begins, as you will note if you have an ESV, as in all the churches of the saints. 
this is one of those places where I have a question. Um, mm -hmm. it, this sounds almost like an interpolation that was added later when there were lots of churches of the saints that would have been connected. But you have to bear in mind, historically speaking, the, you know, our best understanding, this letter of 1 Corinthians was one of Paul's first letters, probably possibly the second letter he wrote. Um, if not the, if not the earliest letter he wrote, uh, it's very early. Hmm. There were not a lot of churches of the saints. Uh, they would not have been particularly well connected. Uh, and so, uh, who established all of these churches of the saints that he's talking about? And why don't we know about this command that's given to all of the churches of saints from other writers? Why is this the only time we we're hearing about this? Exactly. The, 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 prov the provenance of, of the actual information from the sources is, is completely lacking. Right. I mean, the Christian, all they can do is give a headcanon that Peter, who was, who was the first, dare I say, Pope <laughs> of the church, uh, <laughs> right. that somehow Peter gave this command ex cathedra and it went out to all of the churches. But that's just sheer headcanon. We see no evidence of that at all. There, there isn't even any tradition uh, for that, as as I understand, at least I haven't run into it. Brian Y, I'm sorry, Brian I, this this is where you step in to cite some uh, old, dead, forgotten creed that even uh, the Vatican doesn't know about, <laughs> telling, <laughs> telling me where this came from. Um, I would actually appreciate it. But uh, even when I was a Christian, I would look at this this phrase as of all the churches of the saints. And think to myself, well, how many churches could this have been referencing? And who gave them, who was the first to give this this order worldwide to all the churches? It just, it seems like a, a huge overreach. And it's the only, it, it can only make sense during a time, maybe the second, early mid-second century, when there are lots of churches and there are councils and synods and things like that. Yeah, and you and you can't chase down that information, right? How how hard would it have been to corroborate a claim of that nature? Right. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. And then verse 35, it is improper for women to speak in church. As in all the churches of the saints, always and everywhere. This whole section starts with that statement at the end of verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints. Paul Just a real quick note here, something to come back to later. He is reading this extremely literally. Uh, you must keep silent. This is in all the churches of the saints, not just here, but everywhere and for all time. Uh, I, I, will, I will make an observation about this later. Paul is giving us a universal principle here. This is not some local thing. 
This is everywhere and at all times. When Paul says that, he is talking about something that is universal, and I'll show you that from some other portions of 1 Corinthians. If you go back to chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Verse 17, I'm going to send Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church the same expression. What Timothy was going to bring to them concerning the believer's relationship to Christ was what Paul taught everywhere in every church. This is divine doctrine. This is the, do the true doctrine of the gospel. And he taught it in every church. And it didn't vary from church to church. This is Paul saying, he's going to teach you about my ways in Christ, which I teach in every church, what it means to live in Christ. So um, again, for those more academically inclined, it's uh, strongly believed that Paul did not write First Timothy or any of the pastorals, that these would have been written much later, long after Paul was dead. And uh, this just kind of makes the point that I was making earlier about every church is everywhere sounding like a, a much later development. Uh, he's, he's citing Timothy here, which is talking about a church at a much later development. Now, fundamental uh, Christians don't believe this, but most Christians who accept Christian scholarship on this uh, do. So just something to bear in mind there. That said, even mm -hmm. though this is quite possibly uh, an interpolation, something that was added um, later, it, it doesn't matter because in this case, I would agree with uh, the fundies who know that. It doesn't matter because it's consistent with Paul's other teachings. So I, I just wanted to point it out, though. Yeah. That's for all believers in all churches. Over in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, there was some discussion among the Corinthians about when you become a believer, what if you're married to a non-believer? Do you divorce or do you stay with a non-believer? Or what if you are um, circumcised or uncircumcised? Do you, do you do something about that? Is it necessary to then be circumcised? Do you dump your unbelieving spouse? What do you do about your social situation? And he says, in verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Don't worry about circumcision. He says that in the next verse, verse 18. These things do not matter. Down in verse 20, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Listen, becoming a believer is no excuse for a divorce, even if you have an unbelieving spouse. And what's important about this is, at the end of verse 17, Paul says, so I direct in all the churches. Again, he's teaching the same doctrine in all the churches, which uh, Timothy will reiterate to them. He's uh, setting up the same exact standards when one becomes a believer. You don't alter your life circumstance. Now that you're a believer, it doesn't mean you have to get married. It doesn't mean you should get a divorce. You stay in the circumstance you're in. That's the same for all believers in all churches. 
And then over in chapter 11 and verse 16, and we'll get back to this chapter a little later. But Paul is talking here about a woman submitting. And he's talking about a woman submitting in a way that's manifest by how she dresses, by, by what she looks like, by wearing the, the cultural symbols of womanhood to show her submission. But he knows that there will be women who fight against that. Verse 16, he says, verse 16, if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. It's the same for all women in all churches in all times. You are to demonstrate manifestly your submission to your husband and thus to the Lord. So when Paul says, as in all the churches, he means the universal doctrine that's taught in the church. He means the universal behaviors that are taught to all believers, which means they stay in the social situations they're in. Christianity is no excuse to disrupt life and the social level. So I made this point um, in uh, red letters, but I just thought it would be uh, meaningful to just touch upon it here uh, again. This is exactly the same argument that Christian slavers used. And uh, people in the South who were defending the status quo, Jim Crow laws, things like that, um, that the gospel wasn't about changing your social status. It wasn't about rocking the boat mm -hmm. socially, which is a very strange uh, line of argumentation for someone arguing about Jesus who was seemed to be all about rocking the boat in social expectations. Um, but they would, yeah, they're, they're, this argument, you know, whatever condition you find yourself in, and even though he doesn't say it here, the Bible actually, uh, does, e even if you're a slave, you don't try to change, uh, you don't, there's no need to seek to, to change that. And so this is kind of the argumentation, part of the thought process, uh, that Christians used to, uh, defend slavery. And it essentially means that women are to maintain submission to men in all churches in all times. Now there's no lack of clarity. Again, I say, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, that Paul's words could be mistaken is impossible. Okay. God, I'm... Can, <laughs> I, I I don't mean to stop every three seconds, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get going here in a minute, and I I will even leave the point that I was going to make here because there'll be opportunities to make it before. I just want the the audience to know that if you are having trouble hearing, this construction is about as loud and as bad as it's. Ben, it sounds like they're jackhammering up there. Now, I'm using all kinds of audio mitigations to cut back on that. And I'm, I'm using closed back headphones, uh, all sorts of things. I can barely hear <laughs> what's, what's being said um, on this video. And it is just driving me crazy. The vibrations go are going through my chair. Uh, I am extremely put out. So. Brian, you're going to have to carry more of the weight than usual. 
here. <laughs> it's pretty loud in my ears, too. Okay. So, look, audience, if you end up not hearing it, I am a freaking project production genius. But I can assure you, I'm not that much of a production genius. <laughs> You're going to hear this. Uh, so I will let him go. I will I will see about raising the volume of my headphones and creating other situations. But this is... <sighs> As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak. It's disgraceful for a woman to speak. In the face of that, it might be shocking to you to know this, but in a survey conducted in 2017, about 80% of Americans are comfortable with a female pastor. 62% of practicing Christians... Did you notice the air quotes there? Yeah. <laughs> 62% of... Let's see if I can get my fingers in the camera. Practicing Christians. <laughs> So, look, there are a lot of things uh, that he does to express disgust. Um, I just found this to be one of the funnier ones here because yeah. he is implying with this they're not actually Christians. That, that's where the air quotes come from. He's not saying 62% of practicing question, Christians. He's saying 62% of practicing Christians. Right. Um, so... Um, yeah, John MacArthur, everybody. <laughs> are open to women pastors. Yeah, go ahead. I was just say the no, no true Scotsman fallacy in, in full display there. Oh yeah. In 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 literal air quotes. <laughs> and and actually while while you have it paused, when you when you paused to talk about the construction, did you notice what he said right there where you paused it, which was there's no way that what Paul had to say could be an error? Yes. Um, there's a there's another um, assertion without support, right? So right. You know, just just it's it's authority. Just take it. This is this is a real uh, epistemology fail, as far as I'm concerned. But he was he was yeah. not only saying it couldn't be an error; he's saying it can't be mistaken. That, right. Uh, the exactly. the more conservative, uh, the more fundamental a, a Christian is the more they believe that the Bible is absolutely clear in their ideas of, the, of what the Bible says are unmistakable. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's kind of a hallmark of that. 40% of evangelicals are fine with women pastors. In pastoral training, there's a degree, a graduate degree called a Master of Divinity. It's generally speaking a three or four year degree to prepare you for pastoral ministry. Fifty percent of women enrolled in seminaries, fifty percent of, I should say, MDiv students in seminaries are women preparing for pastoral ministry. Twenty-five percent of seminary faculties are women. That means you have women faculty members teaching women students to be pastors. Right. So what is wrong with that particular statistic? I understand what he thinks is wrong with everyone else, but he seems to have a problem with the idea that, that schools would even employ women as uh, faculty, <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm guessing maybe what he's saying is 25% of women who teach uh, people to be pastors are, are women, but he's saying teaching women to be pastors and his, his real 
issue right now is women being pastors. And so I, I'm guessing he's thinking of those 25% of women teachers as, as traitors to the cause of, or, or some sort. But that one, that one kind of confused me a little bit. I wasn't entirely sure what he was, what he was so upset with about that. I don't think it matters because he's going to, he's going to talk about some of this later. So if you think he's just talking about what's happening in the quote unquote private assemblies, you are wrong. Right. You are absolutely wrong. This is, this is not confined to that at all. 11% of seminary presidents are women. 27% of pastors across this country are women. This is an explosion. In 1960, 2% of clergy were women. As Archie Bunker says, man, remember the good old days? <laughs> we could only go back... <laughs> It's an explosion. Oh, no. What's he going to do? So it gets more comical. Oh, boy. The women's movement has basically just erupted in the church, and the last frontier for the movement is the evangelical church. The last frontier to fall victim to the rebellion of feminism along with cultural Marxism. Perhaps women pastors and women preachers are the most obvious evidence of churches rebelling against the Bible. I can't think of anything that's as far-reaching and transcends all denominations as the woman's rebellion against the Word of God. Okay. He can't think of anything worse than that. Hey, uh, Brian. Um, you remember that, uh, article I sent you earlier? Yes. Yes, I do. Now is the time he's done his scripture reading. Let's do ours and find out a little bit more about this man who has so much to say about women. Take it away. Sure. So this is an article from Relevant Magazine from March 22nd of 2022. Report, John MacArthur's church defended and supported a convicted child abuser and pedophile. Over the last few weeks, the Roy's Report has been unpacking the sad, infuriating tale of David Gray, a former teacher at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. MacArthur is a prominent pastor and teacher whose theology has shaped a good deal of contemporary evangelical thinking around pastoral leadership, but the detail... Roy's has uncovered are disturbing. Okay, in so hang on just a second. Yep. So, yep. you guys think that you have heard the headline, <laughs> but this is not why I am having this article read. In, in so as bad as that is, I, I think what follows is worse, and this is and this is the real problem. So, uh, go ahead and uh, continue. Sure. Uh, so in 2004, uh, David Gray was convicted on multiple counts of sexual and physical abuse of children and is serving 21 years for aggravated child molestation, corporal injury to a child, and child abuse. The conviction came about a year and a half after Gray's now ex-wife Eileen Gray had been shamed by MacArthur from GCC's pulpit. In an unearthed video, MacArthur excommunicated Eileen Gray 
for refusing to take her husband back after he had physically abused their children. Okay, she stop. was not. Hang, a, yeah. hang on, yeah. no, got to take yeah. a breath here. Yeah. See, here's MacArthur's real outrage. It's not. There's a dude pedophiling his kids. Right? That's not the outrage right. for MacArthur. Yeah. The yeah. outrage is that the woman would dare leave her pedophile husband <laughs> over it. The, yeah, the, I mean, the, the one who became the target of his outrage was the woman for not standing by her man. <laughs> this is who we're talking <laughs> about right now. <laughs> Put your eye on the prize, right? Make sure you've got the the proper crime in the in your scope, right? My goodness. <laughs> so, oh, uh, go ahead and uh, finish reading the article. I won't interrupt it. This is not a long article, but I, I, yeah. guys, I just want you to know who this guy is. I have known many pastors just like him who would have made the same decision and done the same thing. The problem is not with your philandering pedophile criminal uh husband it's with you for a telling his secrets and b for you not standing by him and try trying to get a divorce who do you think you are go ahead and uh <laughs> go ahead sure so continuing uh MacArthur says in the video this is what the lord wants he wants discipline to be put out of the church to be publicly shamed to be put away from fellowship it is a case that applies in this case, it applies to Eileen Gray. MacArthur told the church that Eileen had committed a sin by deciding, quote, to leave her husband, to grant no grace at all, to take the children, to go away, to forsake him. MacArthur told the congregation to, quote, treat her as an unbeliever for all we know she may be. <laughs> you, can watch, you can watch the full video at the Roy's Report. Um, Eileen Gray had told church leadership that her husband had abused her and her children and threatened to kill them and himself. Instead of taking this report to the authorities, Roy said that GCC leadership mandated spiritual counseling sessions and urged her to take her husband back into her house. She says Carrie Hardy, then the GCC associate pastor, told her she needed to, quote, suffer for Jesus. Mm -hmm. My, my goodness. When, uh, when church leadership failed to take action, Eileen Gray told the Roy's report that she went to the police, who investigated the claims and eventually convicted David Gray in 2005. Hardy emailed the church a statement which was reportedly posted on GCC's website supporting David Gray. And I quote, many of you have interacted with David on a personal level, the letter read. And like those of us on staff who know him, you have great difficulty believing the accusations that have been brought. It ends up being an issue of character, whether or not David has demonstrated the type of character that fits these accusations or not. We can still strongly say that the accusations do not fit with what we know of David. End quote. The letter did not acknowledge that by that point, David Gray had confessed to abuse on multiple occasions. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I can't. No, I can't. Look, including a, including a handwritten confession. This, he, the guy confessed. He wrote a handwritten confession, and at that that being out and known, the church, this guy, Archie Bunker, John MacArthur, is making public statements that uh, that just doesn't fit with uh, what we know about him. We don't. We don't buy it. <laughs> oh. 
And, and on top of it, it instead detailed an effort to raise nearly $300,000 for legal fees and bail. Hardy was charged with failing to report child abuse and intimidating a witness, but the charges were dropped for reasons which remain unclear. Last week, John MacArthur pulled out of the uh, Ligonier conference and at least one other speaking engagement reportedly due to an illness. And there's no quote unquote there, but I'm going to put my little air quotes around illness. <laughs> so, so that's the article. This is, um, this is who these people are. <laughs> this is, this is how they think. And so, uh, folks, when you listen to that litany of disgust, that John MacArthur had those, those statistics about women, uh, and their, uh, their cultural, uh, cultural, what do you call it? Not socialism, cultural Marxism. Yeah. Um, and he says he doesn't know of anything, anything, uh, that, uh, more plagues the church, uh, than women trying to have his positions of authority he knew this right <laughs> this, he knew this and was like yeah that's no big deal but yeah, you know the woman the woman speaking up oh boy you know so, goodness get this your house, is, gets your house in order <laughs> so with that in mind folks here's more john MacArthur. with regard to women preachers women who pastor women who preach in a church are a disgrace and they openly reflect opposition to the clear command of the Word of God. This is flagrant disobedience. It has been acceptable in our culture and now acceptable even in the evangelical world. I read an article this week written by a woman. The title is, Have M. Div Will Preach. And uh, this woman writing this article said uh, the article is designed to answer this question, how does sexism play a role as your congregation works to embrace the pastoral leadership of women? So if you're not willing to embrace the pastoral leadership of women, you're not biblical, you're sexist. Why is this such a far-reaching, vast rebellion against the Word of God? Why? Well, the answer comes all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, so turn with me back to Genesis 3 and we'll see how it all begins. So it really starts getting bad from here. <laughs> we all know the story, Adam and Eve created in the garden innocent. Yeah, no, you haven't, you haven't heard the worst of it. <laughs> all right, I'm ready. Eve comes out from under the protection of Adam, has an encounter with Satan. She is seduced, deceived, she sins, Adam follows up, sins, the whole human race catapulted into corruption. So the Lord curses the participants in that. The serpent, the serpent is cursed in chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 and even 15. The man is cursed in verses 17, 18, 19, but the woman is cursed in verse 16, and that's very important. Okay, so we're going to get to that at just a very tiny point. Uh, hopefully there's some discussion around this in the comments. Yes, I'm begging for comments <laughs> because I, I love reading them even if I can't get in there. I'm, I'm, I'm really busy, but I 
appreciate all of the uh, the community participation. Uh, in this case, I am very glad that he um, used a word that I think is, is very accurate. He says, God curses them. And he goes through a litany of, God, you know, the different people that God curses. This is not a natural consequence. All right. The, the things that, that follow after the sin aren't the consequences, some kind of natural consequence. You know, you step in a ditch, you break your ankle. This is God actively cursing people. Just just think about that for a moment, because things didn't have to be the way they are, except that God wanted to curse them. He had it in him to curse them. And this is a fundy. He's never challenged on this. He probably doesn't even see the problem uh, right. with that. Uh, but those of us who have walked away from this absolutely see the problem. And I hope other Christians do, too. To the woman, he said, this is the curse of the fall. I will mul greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." Um, is pain in childbirth universal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, every woman who ever has a child has pain. An another little factoid. Um, so when we started finding methods and techniques to reduce the pain in childbearing, bearing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. F fundamentalist Christians were the ones shouting at the top of our lung, at their lungs that this was wrong because women were supposed to bear children with lots of pain. Right. And, and, and also notice he said that um, he said that the pain was multiplied. So it's not that it was non-existent before, it was just increased. So there was pain in childbirth before this happened. So God God makes it worse here. So uh, look, I'm not I'm not gonna go into my um my my thoughts on this very far. In fact, I'm gonna stop right there. Uh listen to the last uh episode of Red Letters and the supplemental and um You'll get some color there. I, I disagree with MacArthur and most people on this story of Genesis and how they how they spool this out. But mm -hmm. let's just leave it there because that's that's the um that's that's the typical uh view. And so I'm I'm not going to challenge that here. There's a little bit too much to go into. But I, I just wanted to point out that there is a kind of a, a movement within the church that, you know, your births should be natural, you know, no mm -hmm. epidurals, no whatever, you know, the, the things that need to happen to mitigate the pain because the pain is a punishment. And when you try to have a, a baby with less pain, you are defying God. Again, this is how these people think. It's in fact how they no. talk to each other. That's universal. That's the curse. That's the first half of it. But the second half is equally universal. 
your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What is that talking about? Is that talking about sexual desire, physical desire? No, because physical desire was there before the fall. Because when God created Adam and Eve, He said, be fruitful and what? And multiply, fill the earth, go have babies. What leads to babies is desire. There's nothing wrong with a woman desiring her husband in that way. That is not the point. The point is there's a curse on the woman, and the curse is that she has a desire toward her husband, and he has to rule over her. If you have a sexual desire for your husband, that doesn't lead to him ruling over you. That leads to a, to a joining together in an act of love that produces a child. What, what is this desire of a woman that forces the husband to have to dominate her? This is a curse. This sexual attraction and marital love is not a curse. But whatever this is, it's, it's a bad thing, and it leads to conflict. Well, the answer comes in chapter 4. This particular phrase is only used twice in the Pentateuch in the Old Testament, and here's the second one. The Lord says to Cain in chapter 4, why are you angry? Cain, you remember, offered an unacceptable sacrifice to God. Why are you so angry? Why is your face so fallen? If you do well, if you do the right thing, would not your countenance be lifted up? If you had obeyed and offered the right kind of sacrifice, not the fruit of your labors, but an animal sacrifice, you wouldn't have this issue. And if you do not do well, here's why. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It's the exact same expression as in chapter 3. Here it's sin desiring to have you, and you must master it. So one other very quick observation. Um, I, I made it in the previous shows, but it's worth just reiterating here. You'll notice that, notice that for John MacArthur to make his point about the submission and subservience of women, he has to read the creation story literally. There's no room for allegory here. Mm -hmm. Th this, this is all extremely literal six days a snake um you know poison apples everything uh it's literal and when you read paul he reads the genesis story literally as well because he cannot make the theological arguments he makes without a literal interpretation of this story. So this person is in good company. He's he's following along with Paul and Paul's literal reading. But just just note that the people who believe that women should remain silent in the churches tend to also be biblical literalists. Right. And it and it what it does is it shows how you've got to you have to be able to question those underlying assumptions to to know if you're thinking rationally, right? You so it, it follows that if that's literal, my thinking makes sense. But then that just begs the question of, well, so is it actually literal? You have to actually do the work to justify the belief that this is literal. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be resting those downstream beliefs on this uh, spurious uh, foundational belief. Right. And you see, the, the conclusion of that better epistemology is once you decide 
that this story is not literal, not only do you tend to decide that uh, women don't have to remain silent in the churches, you also have to decide that Paul was wrong. And this is the thing that Christians aren't willing to do. But right. Paul said exactly what he said. And he didn't just say it and leave it out there for us to interpret. He made specific theological arguments that go back to a literal reading of the Genesis story. Right. Mm -hmm. So if the literal reading of the Genesis story is wrong, Paul is wrong on this issue. And if he can be wrong on this issue, he can be wrong on anything. Mm -hmm. it, it also uh, betrays that they may have the directionality backwards. Right. I mean, think about this, the Genesis story as it is. Where do, you, where do we think it came from? It likely came from people observing in reality that women are subservient to men and women are having horrible pains in childbirth. And they needed to concoct a story to explain that so they wouldn't be spinning their heads wondering what the heck is going on in the world. Right. Which which I think is pretty much how all uh, all uh, creation myths and or uh, religious myths work out. They start with what's mm -hmm. going on in reality, and then there's an attempt to explain it. Uh, again, Red Letters Season 1, uh, Judaism did not start uh, 6,000 years ago with Adam or Melchizedek or Abraham. <laughs> it started much closer to our time than you would think, maybe as uh, early as 700 BC. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly as old as the Jewish creation myths suggest, because those myths themselves were not written until quite late. And mm -hmm. we, we read them and we say, well, you see, that's talking about a time that's at least 6,000 years ago. Therefore, Judaism is about 6,000 years old. No, it's not. That That's a terrible way to do history. And uh, without recapitulating all that, uh, I can just say, Brian is right. Um, and uh, Mr. MacArthur, <laughs> let's, let's pick up. It's, it's a long sermon. Yeah. Um, it's worth it, though. That is exactly yep. what is meant in chapter 3, verse 16. Sinful desire to dominate your husband, and he is going to have to exercise rule over you. As a result of the fall, woman bears a curse in two areas. One, and it's ubiquitous and universal, pain in childbearing. Secondly, a desire, because of her fallen heart, to upset the divine order of authority and submission and to want to dominate her husband. This is the universal reality in marriage to one degree or another. The woman will desire to control. The man will have to rule over her. That's as universal as pain in childbearing. It refers to a desire, a sinful desire to control. This is why there is constantly the effort of women to overthrow the authority of their husbands or the, the authority of men in the culture. And obviously, there is a multitude of women in the church trying to overthrow male leadership in the church. That in mind, go back to 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 14, verse 34. David, hold on one second here. So notice he says that the desire for control is sinful. Yes. But, but only when the woman does it. Yes. Right? So, you know, right there, you know, you want to talk about universal, universal morality or, or objective ethics there? No, it's, it's subjective. It depends who's doing it. If the woman does it, it's sinful. If the guy does it, it's fine. I mean, so, I mean, this is, this is just blatant, blatant ad hocness well, that is, is not supported by anything. Okay, what, what you're missing, though, uh, is that God made us that way from the beginning. So uh, he, he's actually going to cover this. Even before the curse, even, even before the curse, the way God arranged things was that man was in charge. And he, he only reiterates that uh, during the curse. And part of the curse was that the woman's desire would be to take over man's position. And, and which is an interesting curse, an interesting thing to zap on somebody. Because presumably before that, Eve didn't want to, you know, take control, but sin uh turn the tables look i'm gonna let him talk about it it's it's really <laughs> it's really weird uh it is it is really gag inducing but you know the only thing that you really need to know is that you're wrong uh so I, I, <laughs> let, let, let me be schooled by the guy that says bring the bring the murderous molesting you know pedophile back into the house let me make sure he he teaches me what's what. Now you're uh, on the right track. <laughs> the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. You have to get a grip on yourself, because you're fighting against your own fallenness. And your own fallenness would, would cause you to want to overthrow the order of your own marriage authority and submission. You are in the church as women, it says, to keep silent in the churches. What do you mean, keep silent? Not hard to understand, is it? You don't say anything. He's used that already twice in this chapter, once back in verse 28, in the case of someone speaking in a tongue or a language. Verse 28, if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. That means exactly what it says, he is not to speak. In verse 30, where you have several preachers and people rendering judgment on them, if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. You can't have chaos with all kinds of people speaking at the same time. Somebody has to be silent while someone else speaks. So this is talking about actual silence in the church. So women are to keep silent in the church. They are not permitted to speak. And then verse 35, the last half of the verse, it's actually disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now this is from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit with a command from God forbidding women everywhere and always to speak or preach in any church. So that's the answer to the question. We could close the book and go home. That's it. It's an absolute prohibition. They are not permitted to speak in the church. 
Now, does that mean that women can never teach? Let's look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As the Apostle Paul gives instruction here to various groups in the church, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, we focus in on the mature women, verse 3, Titus 2-3. Mature women are to be reverent in their behavior. A reverent behavior would be obedience to the Word of God, right? Would you be a reverent woman if you were a woman preacher? That doesn't reverence God. They're to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Did you see that? Of course women can teach. Women are called to teach. They're called to teach other women, teaching what is good, verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women. Older women teach the younger women. And obviously, they teach their children. Yeah, so uh, any fools who thought he was about to get more progressive here. <laughs> we're, we're taking a we're taking a left turn into retrograde town. <laughs> no, no, of course women are allowed to teach. They're allowed to teach younger women and children. How to be yes, women <laughs> teach. Yes, they teach what is essentially good. And what is that that they teach? What is that good that they teach? They teach young women, here's the lesson, love your husband, love your children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Yep, just what bingo, you just bingo. said there. Nailed, nailed it. Nailed <laughs> it. Now, there was a lot, he, he put a lot of packing peanuts around that. There was some really good things in there to teach. Be kind, be loving, take care of your family. Sure, you know, then let me slip in the, oh, yeah, just do whatever your, your pedophile, molesting, dangerous husband does. Yeah, most, most importantly, most yeah. importantly, teach Love these it. girls to be in submission to their husbands. <laughs> when women are not subject to their husbands, individually in a marriage, or women are not subject to their leaders in the church collectively, the Word of God is dishonored. You can't say you're a woman preacher preaching the Bible and be, by virtue of that very role, dishonoring God and His Word. Yes, women teach. They teach out of a life that is reverent in its behavior, and that means it reverences God to the point that it obeys the Word of God. They're not malicious gossips. They're not enslaved to much wine. They teach what is good. And what is the good they teach? They encourage young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, that means holy, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. I, just a note, the workers at home here, uh, he gave that a little <laughs> emphasis in his voice. This is not the subject yeah. of today. but. Uh, I, I assure you it's there because there uh, are also many Christians who believe that it is wrong for women to have jobs outside of a home. Right. Um, and this is, this is kind of one of those passages that they go to. And when they say workers at home, 
they're not being modern in saying uh, remote work. Right. They're not thinking about the Zoom. They're not, they're, don't <laughs> you take it on Zoom. No, that's not, not what they're talking about at all. Vacuuming so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. That's the great teaching responsibility of older women to teach younger women the necessity of the home being the priority, loving husbands, loving children, being subjected to your husband so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. If women don't behave in that way, then the Word of God is what? Dishonored. It gets worse than this. All these women running around as preachers, supposedly teaching the Bible, are defying what the Bible says. And they're propagating some kind of Christianity that is whimsical about how it handles the Word of God. Paul is saying, look, you've got to get a grip on yourself. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 14. He says, Verse 34, really important. They are to subject themselves. You've got to get a hold of yourself. You need a little self-control and self-restraint here. You are to subject yourself. That's an imperative middle voice from the verb hupotasso, which means to line up. Put your life in order. Get your life in order. Get your life under control. Bring yourself into submission. Submission to the Lord by submission to your husband and submission to male leadership in the church. Now what about Paul? Was, was Paul just out on a limb? Was he just an alpha male with an issue? Or was Paul maybe somehow prejudiced? And, and this is just Paul as the most popular woman preacher today says, well, Paul's not Jesus, and Jesus told me to preach. Is that what we're dealing with here? Paul is some kind of an independent guy who's giving us his own advice, which isn't consistent with what God wants? No, because it says, look, you're going to have to subject yourself. Why are you going to have to subject yourself? Because the tendency in your fallen heart is to want to overpower men, your husband, and leaders in a church. And if you, if you make that noble, if you redefine that, like you're hearing today, we, we need to give women the, the due respect that they haven't had for the last decades and give them their place in the church, you're aiding and abetting the sin and the violation of God's standard. David, can you pause it here for a second? Mm-hmm. The standard. <laughs> I just, I wanted to, you know, raise another point. Uh, that shows bad epistemology here, right? Mm-hmm. He's clearly employing a false dichotomy, right? If you don't submit to your husband, the only other alternative is for you to overthrow him, for you to want to take the control and be in power. Mm-hmm. You're, missing, you're missing the point where what we could be doing and what is probably best for us all is to be partners, for us to be equals. It doesn't mean we do the same jobs, but we're taking on a partnership for the betterment of the entire whole. So again, this idea that it's us versus them, I'm on top, you're on top, it's a false dichotomy, and it leads you to miss the broad, broad spectrum of what we can be doing to have successful relationships. Yeah, uh, you see, you're using the uh, technique of modern epistemology here. Uh, that oh, is right, not, right. yeah, no, that's, that's wrong. It, rather than me telling you what's so very wrong <laughs> with your idea. <laughs> Are you going to let him do it? <laughs> he, he is actually going to address... Uh, some of that he's very thorough here um i having look i've 
oftentimes I don't listen to these in advance. Mm -hmm. I listened to this. I've made the mistake of listening to this one just before we record it. Oh boy. Um, so I, I know it's coming and I'm, I'm just going to let him <clears throat> talk a, a, a little bit, but Oh my God! You think that you've heard the worst of his theology? See, I, I, I'm supposed to be holding my holding my powder for the for the most powerful part, and I keep thinking we get there. Oh uh, no, no, something worse. No, you're not. No, no, sir. You need a. Oh, no. You need to resupply right now. I only have five more hours. How much? How much more of my time do you want out of me? Uh, more for all the churches, <laughs> is that women need to get themselves under control and realize they are not to speak in a church. To do so is shameful and disgraceful. And this is not whimsically Paul, because at the end of verse 34, he says, just as the law also says. The law with a capital L refers to Scripture. We know that because back in verse 21, we read, in the law it is written, and then Isaiah 28:11 is quoted. Law is simply a term to define the Old Testament. Okay, so just a real quick plea. Once again, hit me up in the comments. I I've been asking for this for years, <laughs> honestly. Law. What law is he referring to? Can, can you find it in the Old Testament? Go ahead and find it. Post it in the comments. Uh, I'll talk about it the next time. Uh, but, yeah, someone... Anyone? What law? This is nothing new. Uh, the authority and submission order that God has wonderfully designed for the happiness and blessing of all of us is all the way back from creation. What does the Old Testament say about this? What does the law say about it? Well, first of all, it says God created man, and uh, man was alone, and so God reached into him, took out a rib, and created woman, and created woman to be his helper, to be his helper. We know that from Genesis. We also know that just in, this, in, the, in the normal arc of going through the Old Testament, some things are very obvious. There was never a female priest, never. There was never a, an authorized female king, queen, either in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, there were always men. The only time a woman ascended to that was Athaliah, the usurper. There was never a female prophet with an ongoing prophetic ministry, like Elijah and Elisha. No book in the Old Testament was written by a woman, nor was any portion of an Old Testament book written by a woman. Now there were some women throughout the Old Testament that on occasion spoke for God. Uh, what was that? I said unsupported. We don't, we don't know who wrote half the books in the Bible, right? Excellent. <laughs> What's he talking about? Excellent point. Um, you know, we should just assume that these books were written by women, though. I mean, by men, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Based on data, like real-world data as to what was going on in the world at that time, that, you know, what, what men's jobs were. You know, it's not because, you know, they had some inability to do so. It was just the way things were. Sure, but also... Uh, they were obeying God, and God clearly made uh, the order of the universe that uh, men would be in charge and women would be subordinate. So that's why you should assume right. that even the anonymous books were written by men. 
Right. So the point, I, but the point is, it's, a, it's an assumption based on those other things, not the other way around. You got the causality back. No, 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 no. You, you, sir, need more instruction. Uh, Miriam <laughs> is called a prophetess or one who speaks for God, but hers was a kind of a musical event, wasn't it, back in Exodus chapter fifteen? Okay, you notice you notice how he just dismisses Miriam. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he does that with the various exceptions. So whatever exceptions you guys have in your mind, you know, you're thinking, wait, but what about this woman? What about that woman? Yeah. Uh, he's already thought about that and he has found ways to dismiss them as unimportant. So there, seem, there seems to be, there's, there's a theme running through, you know, this has been going on in multiple of the boards on skeptics and seekers. It's, these things are universal except for this, except for that, except for this, except for that. Right. It's, right. Right. You want to use you want to use the word because it has power, but it, it doesn't have actual uh, corroboration in, in reality. Well, it does when MacArthur does it because he he That's just right, he's right. very good at dismissing women. He's so maybe very maybe good. I'm a, at maybe, it. I'm a, maybe I'm a woman. I need to be some more submissive. I'm I'm acting <laughs> out. I'm asking too many questions. Maybe, I, maybe maybe there's something to this. You know, everyone can be whatever they want. Maybe I'm in, maybe I'm in the wrong role here. Oh, he's getting to that. <laughs> Deborah was a judge in Judges four. And in the absence of a man, the Lord used Deborah to, to bring about His will on one occasion, but when it came to going to war with the enemies, she was not about to lead the troops, and so she chose a man, Barak, to lead the troops. Obama? Another... See, Miriam, she was a prophetess, <laughs> but it was just music. It's just, don't worry about it. And right. Deborah, she was a judge. That's the equivalent of a king at that time, and, and God raised her up, but that's only because there were no men around. That's an interesting bit of history. <laughs> no, oh no men around. But when it was time to go to war, suddenly yeah. she found a man. That's right. <laughs> so, Lots of woman is mentioned as one who spoke for God in Second Kings twenty-two by the name of Huldah. And then in the New Testament, you have Anna in the temple when Jesus was taken there uh, to be dedicated in the temple, and she spoke a word from the Lord. But but she was not a lifelong prophet. It's not like it was a dedicated ministry or anything. Shut up. <laughs> no woman ever had an ongoing prophetic role. But occasionally God used women to speak for Him. In the New Testament, it was the daughters of Philip who on one occasion were used by the Lord to speak, not in a church service, but to speak for God. Not at church. Come on. I know, like, what, what, just, like, what's the point of that distinction? It's like, oh, you know, it's, this is really important. That'll actually get even more confusing. <laughs> oh, Those are all exceptions that prove the rule. Okay. <laughs> you just cannot that? find any woman as a priest. He literally just real, rattled off as many, if not more, exceptions than he gave the rule. <laughs> right. so. and, and, and by the way, was, wasn't it woman that discovered the empty tune? Like, so we sh they shouldn't have even spoken yeah. up. They, there, what, what are you talking about? There's like, so many exceptions, more than even the ones he <laughs> talked about. But all you have to know to dismiss them is that those exceptions prove the rule. They prove the rule. <laughs> the 38,000 exceptions prove the rule. Let's go. <laughs> Any woman as a spiritual leader any woman as a prophet anywhere in the Old Testament. But the rebellion was on. Women were going to get their moment in the sun. And they did, tragically. Turn to Isaiah chapter <laughs> 3. <laughs> the, the women tragically. Isaiah chapter 3. <laughs> you... <laughs> oh, no. 
you oh, you're going to have so many more reasons to apologize. I'm going to have to go on mute. I'm going on mute. No, 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 no. People need to hear this. They- Judgment is is coming. A day of reckoning is coming. That's Isaiah's message. Soul of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Okay, I'm writing this letter to you so that you know how to conduct things in the church, to live consistent with the truth, revealed truth, divine truth, the Word of God. And all throughout this letter, on both sides of that verse, before it and after it, Paul gives instruction for the life of the church. In particular, let's go back to chapter 2 and look at the instruction for women. Verse 9, likewise, women are to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with plated hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. This is the antithesis of Isaiah 3, right? Women are to be identified because they dress in an appropriate way, appropriate for worship, with modesty and discretion. What is this plated hair with gold pearls and what what is that about? Since women basically wore a robe from their neck to the floor, uh, the only way they could display their wealth would be in the quality of the garment they were wearing. But even more so, they would weave their pearls and their gold through their braided hair. And so they would put on display their wealth, calling attention to themselves. I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with plated hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You say you're a godly woman, then you should be manifesting good works. And what are those good works? Immediately. Verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet." Whoa! That's how you conduct yourself in the church. Women are called to modesty, they're called to discretion, they're called to good works, they're called to godliness. And what does that mean? That means they receive instruction quietly with entire submissiveness, very strong, very strong language entire submissiveness. You want to know how entire it is? Go to 1 Peter 3, as Peter gives instruction for godly living. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to talk to the wives again, and he says, in the same way you wives, chapter 3, verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. You, you, You get the picture here? They just keep repeating this. Be submissive, be submissive, be submissive. Why? Because of the reality of the fall that built into the curse is a woman's innate fallen desire to overpower her husband and take control, and collectively that means do the same thing in society and even do the same thing in the church. So there's these repeated... This is the first time where he has overtly mentioned society. As well as the church. So, if you are beginning to suspect that his ideas about male leadership are not just about private homes and private church, you are absolutely right.
But be sure, he will leave no doubt. Statements about be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, that is, maybe they're non-believers, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Again, your adornment must not be merely external, plating the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on fancy dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God." Wow. That gentle, quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. And then he gives an Old Testament illustration. So here's more from the Old Testament law. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling Him Lord. I can hear some of you saying, I'm not there. I'm not there. Maybe deer, maybe honey. I don't know about Lord. So just out of curiosity, uh, Brian, um, I don't, I don't okay. know if you were familiar with this passage or not, but yeah, in fact, uh, we used to joke about it in my family and in the, our churches uh, a lot. And, and we were also biblical literalists who believed that women were supposed to be under subjection. And yet... And yet, somehow, we all decided that, yeah, but women don't actually have to call your husband Lord, because that would be crazy. But Paul is literally using Sarah as an example. In the same way that she called her husband Lord, you uh, should be daughters of Sarah. Why, why don't women in conservative churches call their husbands Lord. Fun fact, many of them call their husbands daddy. Hmm. Who's your daddy? Uh, no, I'm, I'm being literal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you bring up a great point here, right? Which, which is because we're human, because we have our own minds, even if we are brainwashed, even if we are following blindly what we think are orders from God, everybody eventually hits their their the wall mm -hmm. where they can't go any further right so these people are willing to just do all this submissive stuff up to the point that they think it's ridiculous unfortunately mm -hmm. some people don't put that line in the right spot because the same reason they're rejecting calling their husbands lord are the same reasons you should reject these other things that are ridiculous mm -hmm. just thought i'd bring that uh, out to the forefront okay lord Sarah, obey I don't. I don't feel comfortable with that at all. I'm, I'm not. I can't. I can't let that play. Isn't that, isn't that what you said before the show? You said make sure I call you Lord. Uh, look, that's you know that's that's b before talk. Okay. <laughs> Abraham calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You don't have to fear submitting to your husband. That's God's divine order. Even if he's an unbeliever. Do you know how many women out there absolutely have the right and reason to fear submitting to their husband? Mm -hmm. What kind of absurd statement is this? Who makes this kind of stuff? Oh, wait, this is the guy that uh, that called right. out the woman and supported the... Uh, never mind, sorry. You may win him over by your behavior. And again, the assumption in all of these passages is 
that this is something women have to work on because their fallen nature naturally seeks to control. And by the way, we know that women have the powers of control. They can make life pretty miserable. Can, Dave, can I, make, let me, can I make one point here and then, I'll, and then we can let him run for a while? Mm-hmm. He, he said this a couple times about the woman's fallen nature. Yeah. So do the math here, right? So if the woman's nature is now fallen because she fell, she either had that nature before she fell or else she wouldn't have been able to, or she was able to do so even though she wasn't given that nature. You, you understand what I'm saying? I so, do. So God, God's nature, God either put it, put it in you know, the DNA, the, the nature that's, that's God's job, right? We don't, mm-hmm. I don't make my nature. Things don't make their nature. Their nature, according to theology is given to you by God. So if the woman's got a fallen nature, it was either put there by God or God was unable to prevent it uh, with the nature that he gave her because it happened even if he didn't want it to happen, right? So, so you lose both ways. Right. And I, I can just imagine the Christian response to that would be um, Eve's nature was wide open. It was neutral. So there were all kinds of possibilities. Um, so you couldn't even really define her with a nature at all. She just had instruction right. in libertary, libertarian free will. Right. She chose to sin in this way. And so that became a part of the nature from her passed down to her daughters. Right. Um, but I think that they would say, yeah, God, God didn't give women the nature to want to overthrow the man. That was just a libertarian option. But once chosen, right. it now becomes baked into the nature. Right. It, 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 but it, it wasn't foreclosed upon ahead of time. It wasn't prevented. It was, you know, it was in the cards, you know, right. as, as in the landscape of things that can happen. God was completely happy to give her a nature that would lead to this fallenness. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Except obviously you're wrong. <laughs> Just a little bit more, more Do I hear an amen out there rumbling? In? <laughs> no, you don't hear an amen. <laughs> but you, you get the picture with all of this in the Word of God that there is a battle going on here. There's a battle in every marriage, there's a battle in every society, there's a battle in every church to keep the divine order. So go back to 1 Timothy 2. So women are called to modesty, discretion, good works, godliness. And what does that look like? It means that they quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That is so absolute, it's unbending. No preaching, no teaching, no leading position in the church. You say, well, that's, again, this is quirky Paul. Is this just Paul? No. Look at verse 13. This was designed by God, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. This is the divine order. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Which is an idea that you can only get if you take every word of Genesis 1 through 3 
literally. Right. And, and, and Adam's nature wasn't able to, um, to resist the temptress lady, you know, giving him the apple, right? His, his nature was also had in its, in its potentiality, the, the fallen, disobedient, horrible nature. Yeah, there were, uh, I, I sometimes say in, in that state that they were in, there were more ways to get it wrong than to get it right. Uh, right. And, and so it was, it was always an unfair challenge. And, and, and think, think about, think God, about in, 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 relative, in relative failure, right? Mm -hmm. Eve failed temptation by, a, by a, 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 a supernatural being, the devil. Adam failed temptation from a, you know, his subordinate, his, his, rib, his rib kid. So, you know, Adam, Adam's failure is much worse than Eve's in this situation. I mean, it, it would be like whether I lost a fight to Mike Tyson or lost a fight to Hervé Villachez. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't know Hervé Villachez. Has he bitten off anyone's ear? Treated Adam. Uh, he was alone. <laughs> he took a rib out of Adam. He made a woman, and the woman was to be Adam's helper. Then, then he doesn't Catching belong. He, he doesn't belong. Catching from Fantasy Island is a okay. cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Just, uh, he doesn't belong in a in a list with Mike Tyson if he hasn't bitten off anyone's here. I don't. I don't even understand plane. your list. <laughs> the plane. The plane. If I can't beat that guy in a fight, we got problems. I, you know what? He might be tough. Um, I would uh, look. Knee cat me. I got no. I got no knees. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He's already come for you. Yeah. But not only was this God's creative design, it was basically affirmed in the fall, verse fourteen. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is a very severe warning. Very severe warning. A woman out from under the protection of her head is vulnerable. Yeah, here we go. Because of typical women's sensibilities, passions and compassion, because of their tendencies toward kindness and mercy and care, they become more vulnerable when unprotected. That is, that is a reality today that is in no short supply being exhibited by the vast number of women running around single who have neither a father nor a husband to protect them. Just, just let that wash yeah. over you for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank God we got him to help us here. Yep. Um, women, you need a protector. You need mm -hmm. this is this is why, uh, when unmarried, you belong to your father, who is your protector, and when you get married, you're given away by one man to another man who becomes mm -hmm. your head and protector. And when you don't have a head, then you are vulnerable and in a state that God doesn't want you in, which of course should make you wonder why Paul would say to so many, it's better to remain single. From deception. Yeah. But the role of women in this authority submission Partnership was designed by God in creation. Wait, 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 wait a minute! Wait, wait a minute! Did he just say this authority submission partnership? He did. He did. Yes. Yes. Uh, look, it's like uh, you know the dominant submissive uh, partnership uh, among people. Never mind. I'll just I'll leave a link in the show notes. Confirmed in the fall. What happened was Eve got out from under the protection of Adam. She was vulnerable. 
she was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He basically ate willingly. Why? She sinned because she was deceived by Satan. He sinned because he couldn't live without her. You understand that? She had become everything to him. And when the roles are reversed, the women are deceived, bad things happen, the men are made weak, worse things happen. I've, I've been calling him Archie Bunker. Um, Donald Trump, is that you? The whole human race went down with Adam. <laughs> you tamper with this order, chaos is unending. So where does that leave women? So if men are in charge of everything, where does that leave us? Verse 15, 1 Timothy 2.15, but women will be, and the Greek verb here is sozo, which means saved. It's the very word for saved, like spiritually saved. Women will be saved through the bearing of children. There's the balance, right? You get to have the babies. You get to nurse the babies. You get to hold them in your arms. You get to spend every day with them. You get to nurture them. You get to develop them. That's your marvelous privilege. In reality, there is a depth of influence at that level that no man will ever have with his children. Now what does it mean she'll be saved through the bearing of children? I remember when I was in Bucharesti, Romania some years ago, there was a pastor's conference. There were about twelve or 1,500 pastors and their wives in this church, and they wanted, after I spoke a lot, they wanted to have a Q&A. So, uh, the, one of the guys asked the question, what does this mean, women will be saved through childbearing? And I said, well, you just blurted out, well, of course it doesn't mean spiritual salvation, it doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven if you have babies. You know, you don't get eternal life by having babies. So it can't possibly mean that kind of salvation. It has nothing to do with your soul salvation. And all of a sudden the room got just dead flat. It was like somebody sucked out all the oxygen, and I could see confusion on the faces of men and women. And the moderator sitting next to me said, uh, you just dropped a bomb. Because you know, in our theology, you can lose your salvation. And one way a woman would lose her salvation, they had been taught, was by doing anything to prevent a pregnancy. So that's how they... A common teaching today uh, in the mainstream church as well. Obviously not everyone, but, you know, see Catholics and uh, many fundamentalists, see Mormons. Uh, this is not an uncommon thought at all. Well, I mean, that. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to, I mean, just think, think of all the real world harm that gets created by taking a sentence like that and then a, that particular theological interpretation and treating it as, as gospel. I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it, the, it doesn't even say like, what do you have to have a thousand babies? Like, what if a woman has 900 babies? Is that not enough? I mean, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous on its face and it's not even, it's not even fleshed out in a way that interacts with the reality of the world and physical reality and, and 
and the nature of our social interactions and, and, and what women are doing and what men are doing. It's, I mean, it, it's absolutely, it's heartbreaking that people would, 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 would accept this and swallow it and, and, and look at all the harm it causes as a result of doing that. Right. And if you think that MacArthur is having another one of these leftist moments of sanity, uh, you're wrong. Uh, but he'll, he'll, he will disabuse you of that notion. That's why they all had 15 kids. And these poor beleaguered women. And they're looking at their husbands saying, you had to be wrong about that verse? Of all the options possible, couldn't you have been wrong about, like, sprinkling or something? It's a joke. It's a joke. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So I spent the next 20 minutes sorting that out. And then those dear people, of course, they wouldn't want to reverse anything because they loved their children. And even with a faulty theology, they had done what godly women do. They had brought children into the world. When Eve stepped out from under the authority and protection of Adam, she was vulnerable and she fell. And Adam, bound by his heart to her, abandons his own authority and becomes weaker and plunges the whole human race into corruption. Okay. We, uh, more to be said about thanks, that. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> um, well, no, thanks, Eve. Um, yeah. You know, you made Adam weak. I mean, this, that's, this is Eve's fault. Uh, about the children thing, um, the last thing he said, uh, I just didn't want to let that get by. Um, he said they wouldn't want to reverse anything because they still did what godly women do, which is bring children into the world. So he is still equating having babies with being a godly woman. Mm-hmm. He, he does not believe that you are a godly woman if you choose not to have babies. Uh, so uh, he, as much as he is trying to say something sane, his, his theology still leads him to say, uh, no, the right thing to do is have babies. The godly thing to do is have babies. And that those two thoughts need to be completely separated. Uh, because, right. yes, it does so much harm in so many real ways when you conflate obeying God and having babies. I mean, absolutely. It, it's, it's, you know, it's not like putting on a red shirt, right? The, deciding to have a baby is, a, is probably one of the biggest decisions you can make in life. And there are many real reasons that you can't have babies or, or shouldn't have babies. But no, none of that gets to come into the equation. It's what God wants. Uh, but again, he talked about, oh, that's why women had 15 babies. How do you know that's enough? It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no cap in the, in the Bible verse that, that talks about being saved by having babies. What if you have to have a thousand babies? Then, then no women are saved. All women are, are doomed. Honestly, I don't think MacArthur does believe that there's a cap. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Pump them out. Yeah, I really, I really don't think he believes that at all. Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. <laughs> Wrong. False. If we stay in the order that God has designed us, Everybody flourishes. Men and women, by the way, as a result of the fall, are equally sinful. Adam needed Eve so much, he sinned willfully. 
No. We get that. We need you. No, we don't. Yeah. The leadership of men, though, it was established in the creation and reaffirmed in the fall. Mm-hmm. E- Eve was the first. No daughter trap. of Eve should mm-hmm. follow her path into forbidden territory of going out from under her authority, her God-given authority, and trying to live independently. You're too much danger abounds. Okay, so let's be clear. He's not talking about the church anymore. Right. And he's not talking about the home. What he just said is no woman should try to live independently out from under her authority figure. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what he believes. I'm going to do the rare thing of hitting this 15-second rewind button. Because mm-hmm. you, you need to hear that again. This is disgusting. And plunges the whole human race into corruption. Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. If we stay in the order that God has designed us, everybody flourishes. Men and women, by the way, as a result of the fall, are equally sinful. Adam needed Eve so much, he sinned willfully. We get that. We need you. The leadership of men, though, it was established in the creation and reaffirmed in the fall. No daughter of Eve should follow her path into forbidden territory of going out from under her authority, her God-given authority, and trying to live independently. You're too much danger abounds. Actually, all human relationships are built on authority and submission. You would know that, right? You have a job? You get it, right? Authority and submission, somebody's in charge? Women are saved, go back again, by bearing of children, literally in the Greek, begetting children. This is the woman's high calling. If, this is important, if those women continue in faith and love and sanctity or sanctification with self-restraint. Here we go again. Women are constantly being told, get a grip on yourself, be submissive, subject yourself, have some self-restraint because the impulse of your fallenness is to overpower your husband. And there's reason for that, because your husband's not perfect and you can find a lot of reasons that you'd like to get power, right? A woman's high calling is to save herself from the stigma of the fall. She led the race into sin by being deceived. How does she reverse that? How does her life count for something good when it was a woman who led the whole race into, into sin? A woman reverses that by raising godly children. Okay. I can't, I can't do it. Um, okay. Just give me a second. A, because it was a woman, just follow the logic, because it was a woman that plunged the world into chaos, if you were a woman today, how can you possibly 
live past that? How can you possibly, your life possibly have any meaning at all? Well, it's by having babies and raising godly children. But notice the epistemology here. A woman did this thing a long time ago, and it was a bad thing. So all women from that point must bear the guilt and shame of that and constantly make uh, amends and do penance by doing this good thing. Because the stain of one woman, that scarlet letter, is the scarlet letter on all women. This is this is the thinking of someone who has a generational curse mentality. Uh, you know, you, uh, it's so. I, I will say something that's a little bit sensitive uh, on my part because I. I I don't even know my own mind on this particular subject. It's that sensitive. But in terms of reparations, uh, you know, when a group historically has done something bad, you know, a thousand years down the road or a hundred years down the road, for that matter, when nobody in that group is alive today, um, yet you still have the, the, the groups based on whatever... Uh, distinction ethnicity let's just say let's let's say hypothetically white people enslaved black people this would never happen in a christian nation but hypothetically if there was a universe where this happened uh what do we do a few hundred years later when there are still white people and black people and black people are still suffering actually from that injustice do we demand reparations from the white people who are still around? And uh, do their children, let's say we got reparations, but what about the children of those white people and their children, their children, two, three, four hundred years down the road? Should they continue to pay reparations because of the sins of the fathers they never knew? Um. There seems to, this seems to be problematic, but this man's theology seems to be based on the idea that because a woman, and by the way, he's getting it from Paul, so he didn't invent this, because a woman did this thing way back when, all women must continue to pay reparations today. And since you've been pointing out epistemology fails throughout uh, all of this, I thought that that was a big one that needed a moment for us to think about, because that's, that is not just something that John MacArthur is saying. That's something that Paul was saying. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great analogy. And, and in fact, it goes beyond just women, right? It's all of humanity. I mean, it's probably one of the most toxic ideas in Christian theology. It, because Adam and Eve sinned, now we all have sin natures, and now we must repent and, and, and swear our lives to Jesus or else we'll be thrown in hell, right? Right. I didn't get a chance to live with Adam's nature where I could have chosen the, the right path and not sinned. I not fallen for the, you know, for the thirst trap of Eve and eaten the apple. I didn't get that chance. I was given the nature that was already sinful. I had no choice. There's nothing I can do uh, to, to avoid that fate. I've got to go down this path of needing redemption through Jesus. So 
I mean, it, it's, it's this idea of generational curse. There's nothing you can do. What someone did eons in the past is responsible for your, for your terrible situation now. Right. And whether we're talking about reparations for uh, racial injustice or reparations for sin, I think that the idea of generational curses is abhorrent. Now, mm -hmm. what we do in real life um, society is always a trickier and more complicated question. It's like the um, analogy uh, of the baseball game where uh, we'll just say the teams are the White Sox and the Black Sox because socks are a big deal in baseball. I've never Absolutely. understood it. But um, <laughs> we find out in the seventh inning stretch that the White Sox are way, way ahead, but they've been cheating the whole time. Uh, so is it enough for the umpire to say, okay, I've sorted it out. Uh, there will be no more cheating. We've got two more innings to play. The score is 200 to zero white Sox. Mm -hmm. You've got two more innings to play the game. Well, the black Sox are going to continue to lose. <laughs> There's, mm -hmm. They're, they're going to lose at the end of the game. And so simply correcting the error doesn't mean that you have corrected the outcome. You still have mm -hmm. not played a a fair game. And you can say, yeah, well, there's nothing that we can do. You can even put new players on the field. And the new players can say, well, there's nothing that we can do about the, the misdeeds of the other players. But that doesn't matter because in real life, you still have to play the same game. There is no mm -hmm. reset button for the game. Uh, and so then the question becomes, well... Maybe we will just change the rules so that it's in favor of the Black Sox instead of the White Sox. And then when they finally even up the score, then we will even up the rules again. That is something that might never uh, happen because you know what? Mm -hmm. the, the Black Sox didn't get the training that the White Sox got. And, it, you know, we can take this analogy on and on. I don't, yep. mean, I don't mean to make this um, about that. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain uh, by a, a parable why this is so complicated uh in the real world but you see we're not gods we, right. we we didn't set up this situation we're just dumb humans doing the best we can the situation mm -hmm. of generational curses was set up by god mm -hmm. he made it so that it would be that way from the beginning and so uh, it is It is a different situation, uh, even though I kind of equate it, generational cur uh, uh, curses and reparations, they're not the same in that uh, reparations based on things that bad people did to other people has natural consequences that will go on for centuries. And if we don't want to go on for centuries with the White Sox with a ridiculous score that they did not earn and the Black Sox all the way down, we have got to do some extraordinary things to change that. But in terms of theology, it never had to be that way. God is the one who said, I'm going to put these two flawed people in this garden, and as soon as any one of them makes a mistake, I'm going to make sure that everybody is cursed by that. And once again, this is the, the significance of calling it a curse. This is not a natural consequence. This is God making an intentional 
curse that everybody has to suffer from. Didn't have to be that way. Amen. This is the highest and most influential life possible. Now, I understand that God doesn't want every woman to be married. There's a gift of singleness Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. And sometimes there are married couples that the Lord doesn't give children. But as a general principle, this is the high calling of women. There goes those exceptions again. Yep. Yep. I, I, I mentioned this one earlier, and I, yeah. I, I know we're, we're rapidly coming to an end. I should stop talking. Yeah. But uh, so God doesn't want everyone to have children. He calls some to be single. Um, Sounds pretty Calvinistic to me, right? There's a bunch of women that are preordained to be not saved. How do you know when God has called you to be single and when you just don't want to have children and, and want to be in defiance of the God? You can't say that the general rule of God is for women to have children and say, except for those people that he's called not to have children. At that point, you have to have a pretty foolproof way of uh, knowing what women particularly were called to not have children because it sounds to me like you've just left a huge loophole for anyone who doesn't want to obey God to simply say they were called to be single. Right. And, and you've, and you've also obviated all of your defense for being against uh, uh, prophylaxis or abortion or whatever have you, because it's possible that the people that are using the, the morning after pill are the ones that are ordained by God to not have children. And that's the method that they're using to, to keep, that, that ordinance in place. Well, and it's also, um, speaking of knocking down the house of cards that you just spent an hour building up, those women who are called to be single, all of a sudden, don't have any authority covering over their head. And so they're just oh. vulnerable women out there mm -hmm. uh, who, who are going to get ravaged because they don't have their protective authority. Someone help me follow this reasoning. Mm -hmm. Pour your soul and your life into those children. And that is the greatest of all influences. Meanwhile, back at the church, chapter 3, verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement, and everybody knows this. If a man aspires to the office of overseer or pastor, elder, it's a fine work he desires to do. Meanwhile, men are in charge of the church. And an overseer, pastor, elder, must be above reproach, must be a one-woman man, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. And here it comes, verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well. Just as he manages the household, that's the proving ground for him to be able to be given responsibility in the church. Because the next verse says, verse 5, if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Since men are called by God to manage the house, they are in being qualified to do that, qualified to, rent, to, to be managing the church. No woman is the head of a house. No woman can be the head of a church. Now somebody's going to say, well... What about 1 Corinthians 11? So let's look at that. Now so far, it's, it's abundantly clear what Scripture says about life in the church as regards women preachers. 
But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the very same book, without any confusion, Paul says in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 11, 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman. God is the head of Christ. God's the head of Christ. Christ the head of the man. Man the head of the woman. That's the order. That's the divine order. That's how it has to be. And then he says this, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Well, that's strange kind of thing. What's going on here? Um, In the course of life as believers, um, there will be times when women pray. Obviously, they're they're not doing it in the church, in the order of the church, in the service of the church. Obviously. That's crystal clear. It showed you everywhere it says that. Is that that insane? But in the fellowship of the saints and in the opportunity to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, give testimony, there are going to be times in homes in social gatherings or whatever, that women are, are going to be praying. And there are times when women are going to be speaking. Praying means you're speaking to God about people. Prophesying means you're speaking to people about God. You're going to be speaking the truth of the gospel to someone. You're going to be praying to God on behalf of someone. So you're praying to God, talking to God about people, or talking to people about God. That's going to happen. And a great host, the Old Testament says, a great host are the women who publish the good news. So all of us, men and women, are called to to pray. Uh, We're to be praying for people. We're to be praying together with people. Uh, We're we're to be communicating the truth of the gospel. We're to be nurturing one another, speaking to one another in edifying ways. Paul says when you're doing that in just the normal life of the church, um, men don't want to have something on their head. Women do. He's talking about a, a head covering. This is apparently a, a local custom. I don't know how far it extended. Okay, I just want to pause right there. I said I would come back yeah. to this. He says uh, this head covering is a local custom, and then he's going to, you know, try to um, dance around that for a moment. But one could say all of this was local custom Mm -hmm. uh so it becomes local custom when it's inconvenient and Mm -hmm. it's universal law when it's not convenient so he he is willing to make a distinction between local custom and not local custom but as the hearer of this message we are not able to determine when that switch is made Mm -hmm. but but i'll show you how important it is If a man has something on his head, when that is traditionally what women do, then a man is acting in an effeminate way, and he is doing some kind of spiritual praying or proclaiming the truth, but he's got a covering on his head. He's dishonoring his his Lord and himself, because in that culture, women wore head coverings and men did not. So if a woman uncovers her head while praying or prophesying, she disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. What women shave their head? Lesbians? <laughs> prostitutes? <laughs> the dripping disdain. Oh, who shaves their heads? The lesbians. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. 
I knew this was coming. I was prepared to let it go. <laughs> I couldn't. I tried. I couldn't let it go. Oh God. Oh. I hope. I hope he says the skinheads and the Nazis. Is he gonna? Is he gonna? You know, defame that crowd too? No. Hell the no. Lesbians. How Hell dare no. they? <laughs> I mean, it's it's so telling yeah. that the. First group of people that came to his mind who shaved their heads, the lesbians. <laughs> Pornhub.com oh. people, just, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> what? I don't, that's, Sometimes that's not they shave the head of adulterers. <laughs> In other words, what Paul is saying, when you act as a believer in any setting publicly, maintain the visible symbols of your manhood and womanhood. We live in a culture where they're trying to rub that out, right? Where androgynous hairdos and androgynous clothes and who knows what that person is. What is an androgynous hairdo? <laughs> I, look, I'm not the most socially plugged in person yeah. around, but I've, I've seen all kinds of hair. I used to have so much hair. I know it's hard to believe today. Uh, when I was younger, I had so much hair, I uh, permed it. Um, you know, I used, to, I used to do that. I used to wear... Um, a cue on the top of my head to um, mm -hmm. restrain it. I've had hair, folks. <laughs> I know all of the things that you you do with hair. Um, I'm just I'm just trying to get inside of his head to to figure out what he means by androgynous hairdo. In other words, um, he thinks that the natural order of things is that women's hair is fundamentally women and, the, and their right. styles are fundamentally women's styles and men have a fundamental style for how they're supposed to wear their hair and if you wear your hair in a way that blurs the lines then you've got one of those sinful androgynous hairdos right Be because talk, god talk uh, I, I was, I was just, just saying say, yeah okay good because God cares about your hairdo. <laughs> right, like, wait, 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 wait to make a mountain out of a molehill, right? Like, what's the point of this? You're trying to rescue a biblical passage that you think carries divine weight, and and you're now making up this entire, you know, weighty thing about how important people's hairdos are. It's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Honestly. Well, obviously, you're not uh, studying your Bible well. He just he just said it, uh, men they should not have shaved heads like lesbians and prostitutes. Yes. How dare they? <laughs> Transgender, <laughs> rejecting the reality of gender. All of this is a complete assault on God's divine order. So the local custom was that women in public were a covering, a symbol of their femininity. It's the same today. I mean, I can look out and I can tell exactly who the women are and who the men are because of your hair. That's, that's, that's a cultural cue. Men are looking like men and women are looking like women. But apparently in the Corinthian society, because there was so much confusion about... See, I look, I, I'm legally blind, man. When I stood up in a pulpit in front of an audience that size, at least for the people I could see, you know, maybe 10 rows back, I never had any trouble telling who was a man and who was a woman. More to the point, I never gave a damn. That, as <laughs> right. you would expect in a pagan, idolatrous culture. Some women had come to Christ but hadn't shed some of those rebellious 
characteristics. And perhaps some of the men as well. There, there may have been some effeminate men, sure, because what does Paul say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6? Effeminate, homosexuals, such were some of you. You, you, may have, you may have dressed like a woman. You may have manifest effeminate symbols. Or you may have been part of a woman's liberation movement. There were many of them in Rome. We read about women running around with spears, sticking pigs, women wearing armor, carrying swords, women shaving their head. All these kind of how rebellions dare, are part they? of the ancient world. Paul is just saying... Isn't it interesting that uh, one of the things that God required uh, a woman who was captured by one of his men to be a slave wife thing, mm -hmm. uh, after a period, they were to shave at least one one side of their head or something like that. Mm -hmm. They had to shave it. Shave. It was a requirement for them to shave their head. It was not because they were lesbians, prostitutes, or transgendered people. Saying, look, nope. as a believer, you need to make sure people know you're a man or you're a woman. If you didn't Why? know that was under attack in the past, you would know it today, would you not? No. What? <laughs> When I'm at the grocery store, it's a man really, with a head really covering important. was a. It's very important. I mean, how is Seriously, the cashier? I'm a dude shopping for lettuce. You've got to know this. It's how important. are they going to ring you up properly if they don't know you're a man or a woman? I mean, obviously, it's because it's appropriate to charge women more because it's their fault for being out in public without their authority protective figure. Exactly, with their pearls and gilded hairdo, whatever. Is this guy a, is this guy a secret Muslim? <laughs> a woman without a head covering was masculine. Symbols are important. Our culture has popularized fashions that blur those lines. When you go shopping, guys, go to the men's department. <laughs> And if you can't tell whether you're in the men's department or not, go somewhere else. <laughs> ladies, go to the ladies' department. No place for transvestism, cross-dressing, gender confusion. When a woman dressed in socially female style, she was declaring her understanding of God's order. She was declaring her understanding of the divine uniqueness of being a woman, and she was testifying to her submission to that divine design and her submission and devotion to her husband. And for a Christian, further, she was declaring her devotion to Jesus Christ. Blouses for God. But, but as is clear in this letter, the Corinthians had a hard time separating from their former lifestyle. And they needed to be instructed to do this. Head coverings aren't the issue. Oh, Wearing those God. symbols that clearly designate you as a woman, that's an issue. Wearing those kinds of symbols that clearly declare you as a man, that's an issue. You remember the uh, theme song to uh, All of the Family, you know, that time when gals were gals and men were men? Yeah. This is why, the days. This is why I continue to mistake this guy for Archie Bunker. <laughs> this is God's design. He's almost Verse done. Verse 7. Yeah, thank God. 
Anything other than that is disgraceful, verse 6 says. Verse 7 says, a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. God is the creator of man out of nothing. God is the creator of woman out of man. The man's glory is in the image of God. The woman is that she is created by God from man. A man doesn't originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, so David, man was created for the woman. Real, real quick. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, so you know, when, when Jesus was on the cross and wearing the, th the crown of thorns, he was being effeminate. Uh, yeah, well. How dare he? You get that thing. Forget about, the, forget about the crucifixion, right? Get the damn thing off my head. How Jesus, dare you? Jesus had some effeminacy problems anyway. Not created for the woman's sake, but... Woman for the man's sake. In other words, keep these distinctions clear. Authority, submission. And culture so... I mean, you've seen pictures of him, right? I mean, with all that long hair. It's a shame yeah. for men to have long hair. Clearly just, recognizes this. That all cultures have those kinds of distinctive marks. And then this, verse 10. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What? What does that mean? Right, sorry. <laughs> angels were The most yeah. submissive, the most holy submissive creatures in the universe are the angels, right? What are the angels? They're ministering spirits, right? Who serve the Lord constantly. How, is, how submissive are they if a third of them run off with the other guy? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand this logic at all. <laughs> so they are the they are the purest and highest of all submissive creatures. And when women demonstrate their submission, they put their obedience on display to that most submissive of all creatures, the holy angels. And you know. In Ephesians 3, it says that, let me just read you this verse, what the Lord is doing in the church, chapter 3, verse 11, what He's doing in the church is bringing to light the administration of the mystery, the gospel, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. Who, who are they? Angels. The Lord is working His work. Are they rulers or are they submissives? Hmm. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Work in the church right. to put the church on display for the angels. And the angels expect to see the church and see in the church. The Lord glorified. The church is How on display for the angels. It must be for angels hmm. to look down and see rebellious women trying to usurp leadership, preaching roles, overpower their husbands. Wherever you have that kind of woman, you have weak husbands. Wherever you have a collection of those kinds of people in leadership, you have weak men. Wherever you have weak men, you have the inevitable destruction of whatever that entity is. Back to 1 Corinthians 11. Let, let's talk spiritually, though. Verse 11, however, in the Lord... Now, we're not talking anymore about just sexual distinctions here. 
But in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So what he's saying there is, spiritually, we're mutually dependent. I mean, at the base of life, we're mutually dependent. So this isn't making one less than the other. These are just God-ordained roles. And in the Lord, that's why Galatians 3.28 says, in, there is neither male nor female in Christ. You're all one in Him. Spiritually speaking, we're all one. There's no hierarchy. So uh, the, I, I probably see almost done, but I can't let this one get past either. Uh, Brian, I made a comment uh, that I interacted with uh, earlier this week on the board. I uh, just encourage everyone to read the boards, even if you don't uh, participate. Uh, but it was about uh, spiritual versus, uh, in reality, equality. Mm. And, um, you know, Paul says uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, slave or free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. I believe that's Galatians 3.27 thereabout. Um, so... He was saying, yeah, well, but you see, women are equal to men because there's neither male nor female. And my response to him is the response I have to Brother MacArthur, which is spiritual equality is meaningless as long as you are a slave with someone over you slashing your back with a whip. The, the, the equality is rhetorical at that point. I, I mm -hmm. don't care about that equality. That equality means nothing. You know, as far as salvation, as far as souls go, you're all equal. Well, you know what? It's not a, it's not a soul that's whipping me with that whip. <laughs> it's the master that you said that I have to be submissive to. Uh, and so you can talk about uh, male-female equality all you want to. Just understand the buzzwords. When Christians are talking about male-female equality, particularly a fundamental Christian, when they're talking about uh, an evangelical, when they're talking about male-female equality, they're talking about a spiritual reality that has no expression in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yep. So verse 13, he asked the question, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? No. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. I read some time ago that women's hair actually grows faster than men's because God has built in that hair as a covering. Oh, God. <laughs> Consult, if a man has a science long book, hair, okay. trying to look like a woman, it's a dishonor to him. He, he's a weak man. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is the testimony to the covering that symbolizes her submission. You know, all those hard rockers, they're going to burn in hell. Mm -hmm. not, not because of all the backmasking that worships Satan. No, it's that long hair. You don't like this? Verse 16, 
If one is inclined to be contentious, is that you? We have no other practice, sorry, nor have the churches of God. There's that phrase again. This is it for every church in every place all the time. We have no other practice. This takes us back to 1 Corinthians 14.33, the universal standard for all the churches of all the saints. Now let me, let me give you a perspective, okay? okay. Humanity is made up of families mm -hmm. by God's design. Mm -hmm. And where God ordained families are strong, mm -hmm. you have a strong culture, you have a strong church. Mm -hmm. The relations in those families follow into society and you have an ordered society. Those relations follow into the church and you have an ordered church. Notice he is definitely talking about societies. What does he have to mm -hmm. say? Men lead, feed, protect, provide. Women support and nurture, children obey. So the church should be the highest manifestation of that divine order. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, as husbands love their wives and wives submit to their husbands, the church is seen in that marriage because that's the relationship that it has to its Lord. That's, that's God's design. However, the world, particularly the world we live in, is very different. It is not made up of families anymore. It's made up of individuals. Individuals. Marriage means very little to anybody, whether you get married or not. And if you do get married, you get divorced as fast as you can get married. Family doesn't mean anything. Male authority doesn't mean anything. Female submission doesn't mean anything. So you have all these individuals running around defying God's design. And the world rebels strongly against these God-created roles so that it reaches the point where it actually denies they exist. It started some years ago maybe with women making sure they maintained their maiden name in a marriage. So that was sort of a symbol of power. And now it's reached the point where we deny gender exists. Individualism has so perverted the culture and the culture has so perverted the church that the churches are increasingly rejecting the will and command of the Lord. This is not unclear. They have no interest in the honor of the Lord. Rebellious women pastors and preachers flood the church in the roles that were for men. Same thing they're doing in the secular world is being done in the church. How can you do that? when the Word of God is so crystal clear. Oh, Paul anticipates how they could do that. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 35, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. That puts a burden on the, on the husband to be the teacher. But then verse 36, why would you defy this? Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth? Whoa, that is just sarcasm. Did you write the Bible? Was it from you that the Word of God went? Are you the source of divine truth? Because if you defy this, you're acting as if you are God and you have overruled the revelation of God because you're a higher authority. Or maybe, more sarcasm, 
or has it come to you only? You had a private revelation. I see Jesus came to you. Jesus told you to do this. Look, Paul anticipates the only possible defense of women preachers. One, you have ideas that literally trump God. You're getting private revelation. Gee, who, who else got private revelation? I was just didn't As all that get most private famous revelation. Woman preacher says, I didn't <laughs> surrender to a calling of man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. So I wasn't going to I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I, I, like, how how can they say that with a straight face? I, this whole no thing idea. is pre predicated on this guy writing a letter. He's the one with the private revelation. Yes, right. <laughs> All oh of God. this is a result of his private revelation. It never occurs <laughs> right. to me for a second not to fulfill it. I will follow Jesus. Jesus tells me what to do. Really. The only defense. See, the thing is, but women can't get private revelations. That maybe, maybe that's the problem. Is either you're the author of Scripture or you're the author of a higher Scripture than God, or you get personal revelation. Which, conveniently, Paul is the author of Scripture, and he got personal revelation. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and listen, I, I don't remember any of this coming up during the, uh, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit discussion, that are, are women not getting this as well? So they get a whole, a whole uh, gender that's not able to, to, to come to knowledge of, of God through that direct means? I think that has <laughs> to be figure. true, because they Go are figure. to learn from their husbands teaching them at home. And if they were getting the inner, I don't know. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna have to ask somebody. Did that yeah. woman had with Jesus went like this? How you doing this morning? Jesus said. I said, I'll get to you in a minute. He said, Oh, don't mind me. I'm doing fine. How are you? This is the daily routine of somebody who's trying to justify their disobedience by special, intimate, personal revelation where Jesus talks only to them. So here's the last so, word. So he, he's throwing out the entire... Verse 37 and 38. Isn't there large swaths of Christianity that say that God and Jesus are talking to us internally all the time? Huge. Oh, my huge. God. If anyone thinks he's a preacher or spiritual, led by the Spirit, pneumaticos, if anybody thinks he's a preacher or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. If you don't recognize what I've just written as the Lord's commandment, you are neither a preacher nor spiritual. Verse 38, if anyone does not recognize what I've written as the Lord's command, he is not recognized. If you don't recognize the command of God, we don't recognize you as a preacher or a spiritual person. What Paul wrote is the Lord's command. Violate that command, and you're not a preacher, and you're not spiritual. You're a fraud. The Word of God is clear. Now, let me say this. I love a lot of things about Grace Church, but one of the things I love the most at the top of my list is the women of Grace Church. We have a lot of strong men because you honor their strength, you honor their responsibility. But what defines this church 
is the women. Your sweetness, your grace, your kindness, your tenderheartedness, your goodness, your mercy, your love, it literally permeates this entire church. We enjoy it, we bask in it, we live in it. And strangers who come here from time to time all talk about it. There's so much love in this church. Look, men, we have our worlds to conquer, but the heart and soul of this church is the precious women who walk in the Spirit and who live their lives in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint and raise godly children. And you are the benediction to all the rest of us. You are the heart of this church. We are the strength. You are the heart. So thank you for your faithfulness. Let's pray. Let's not. Okay. Um, all right. It was hard getting through all that. Um, mm-hmm. I went through all of that before the show, and um, I feel like it was a mistake. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> to, to have to go through it a second time, uh, it's very difficult. But the thing about going through it the first time is I at least got a chance to highlight one or two gems worth talking about. Uh, and I think one of the standouts for me is his whole uh, philosophy on the the weakness of men. When women become leaders, men become weak. And wherever you have strong women leaders, you have weak men and therefore a bad society. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is um, this is a very important idea to him and very important to his message. Uh, and so it is that women should not just be submissive uh, for one hour at church or all the time in the house, but everywhere. He doesn't want women working outside of the home. He doesn't, how dare a woman take a job that a man could be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't want women in business. What kind of business might he run? Uh, he, he doesn't want women doing anything that would give them any kind of leg up over any man, lest that breed weakness in that society. Th- these people teach our children and they hold public office and they make our laws. Mm-hmm. I contend that you cannot, you cannot turn your back on this kind of Christian or simply ignore it and say, well, you know, those are believers in their private life. No, this is how they govern to the extent that they are allowed to do it. This is how they govern. This is the society that they are working so hard to create. This is what happens when you go to sleep on an election. These Mm -hmm. people rise up and suddenly it becomes illegal to take a cab to the next state to get an abortion. Uh, this is this is the is the consequence, and so don't buy into for a moment this lie, this nonsense that that we shouldn't take into account a person's religion for for various things. I, I know that what I'm about to say 
is borderline illegal uh, if the advice if you took it when someone like this sits in front of you to apply for a job you need to find a reason to say no especially if mm -hmm. what they want to do is become a supervisor in your company um, they they may be a good foot soldier but you can't let them have any responsibility because this is the crap that drives them. It goes from promoting this guy in your company to your company being sued for discrimination because they believe that the crazy that they teach in church should be how the world is ordered. And they are doing everything in their within their power to order it that way. Now, I don't know how to protect the world against that, except to, to do a couple of things, which are socially uh, taboo. One is to silence the fools. We can't do that. And so instead of silencing them, um, yeah, I would cancel this fool, fool in a heartbeat. The problem with it, <laughs> look, I've got a, small shovel and I'm going to trade it for a bigger one. Um, <laughs> the, I've, I've said this before though. The problem with cancel culture is it's in a, it's not, it doesn't cancel enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, this is the shittiest cancel culture I've ever seen. Um, if there is ever a target to be canceled, it's this guy and his followers because they are spreading this message that raises another generation of bigots that it destroy they are destroying not just this society but the next one yes i would like to see them canceled can't do that so instead i will amplify and ridicule that's that's a thing that i can do uh that's what i'm doing it's not enough i wish more people uh would do it uh amplify and ridicule because the ridiculous needs really ridiculing and this is ridiculous and the other thing that I would do that I would recommend is probably downright illegal, which is when they when they send their uh, put their application in front of you and they start talking about their great commitment to God, you find a way uh, to uh, smile at them politely, uh, dismiss them and burn their goddamn application. Do not give these people responsibility. Do not let these people babysit your kids. Do not bring your kids to churches thinking that a church is a safe place for your kids. Do not do it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm getting more incoherent than usual here toward the end. So I'm going to, I'm going to let this go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if I wasn't getting the hate mail before, I think I've <laughs> I think I've got it coming now. So now that I'm behind, I turn it over to uh, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think those are great points. I, I, I think you'd sell yourself short. I mean, you just look around the laws that are being passed in this country related to drag shows and what have you. Um, it's it's this isn't some fringe by the wayside from another time to be laughed at this it's real and it's happening right now so we should not ignore it we should shine the light on it and for what it is and what it is is, is retrograde authoritarianism run amok the one thing i noticed through that entire sermon is not, there was not once a reason given for why women shouldn't do things or why they should do other things 
other than it's what the boss wants. It's the natural order of things because of God and because of his male authority figures that he's appointed and anointed. There's nothing there that says women don't make good teachers or aren't good speakers or would cower from stage fright as to why they can't be preachers or teachers. There's nothing in there about why women shouldn't talk in church because they might blurt out state secrets or gossip or curse children or uh, say anything else that would undermine the community. It's just because God says so. This, this should be the flag that alerts you to the fact that there's nothing there. It's empty, empty rhetoric. It's authority figures putting their thumb on society and telling you, just take it because it's what's so. And all those women that are shaving their heads and putting on their armor and grabbing their spears, I say, Godspeed. Let me pick up my armor and my spear. And luckily for me, I don't have to shave my head. It's already done. I'm with you. Let's get rid of this other, other time, toxic, toxic authoritarianism. And let's march forward for good reasons, for right reasons, for reasons of equality, because we can be equal. There are women out there that are better teachers than men. There are women out there that are better breadwinners than men. In my family, my wife and I have at different times in our life been the primary breadwinner. One of us was working, the other was home, and vice versa, and in combination. Our family is doing fantastic. And we did that because it had nothing to do with gender. It had to do with skills and availability and ambitions and what was uh, in front of us at the time. To ignore those things and look at a dusty old book Supposedly, supposedly from the creator of the universe is to do yourself poor service. Don't do that. If you've got good reasons to show for why women shouldn't do certain things, then show them. Everything in that sermon were bad, bad reasons. And, and this was your best, your best speech of, of any uh, show that we've done. So I... I think I'll leave it there. Oh, you know me. I can't do it. Um, so I, <laughs> so in my conclusion, conclusion, I, I will say that um, this is one of those subjects that it, it seems like a peripheral subject. I think this subject alone is enough reason for you to walk away from Christianity, walk away from Bible-based theologies, because this is what you get. And if you agree with us that they're at least wrong about some of this, you know, the, the, the literal interpretation of Genesis say, you need to walk away from all of it because all of it is equally tainted with this kind of terrible epistemology. And I try to bring this out every week with different things. Walk away, walk away, walk away. And with that, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.